Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Good morning, Antioch, and welcome to church today. Wherever you're at, wherever you're watching this, we are so glad that you're here, and we want to facilitate a life-giving church experience this morning. So thank you for joining us. Our hope is that we would be able to connect people with Jesus Christ, even through the video format like this, and there's a lot of trials happening in the world right now, but we believe that God's going to work through this whole process to bring glory and honor to his name. We'll talk more about that as we go through the course of this morning. And just, I want to just say right here at the beginning, we're so glad that you're here with us. You know, we just got back from a mission trip with our college students to Tijuana, Mexico, and I just wanted to share a story or two from a couple of our leaders. One of our guy leaders said that he was just really wanting to see God move and see God do something powerful in just while he was there on the streets in Tijuana, and, but he also felt some trepidation in his own life. Was he walking in enough holiness? Was he walking in the power of God? And anyway, he's out on the street, he's sharing with this guy, sharing the gospel story, and right in the middle of the gospel story, story, the guy goes, wait, wait, I can see, I can see. I mean, literally interrupts the gospel sharing story to tell him that he's been healed in his eyes. You know, there was another, uh, one of our girl leaders and she'd had a dream a week before the, uh, before the trip and she, about a guy in a red jacket who received his sight. And so she's out praying on the streets on Wednesday. I was there at that outreach and, and she was praying for a guy in a red jacket and was reminded of the dream and asked to pray for his eyes. And the Lord healed his eyes right there on the spot. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Just powerful. And then there was another guy, another eye healing story of another one of our leaders. And he, he had never seen anything like this. He'd wanted to see it. And he prayed for this guy's eyes to be healed and they were healed y'all. And he just gave praise to God and said it was one of the greatest days of his life. Well, there's many, many stories like that. And I just wanted to share a little bit of that to just encourage you. God's on the move, even in the midst of all of the things that are happening in the world right now, praise the Lord. So really encouraged about that. But I also want to give a just a pastoral word here as we're moving into this time of worldwide crisis about the coronavirus. And I want to encourage us, like I did on the video from Tijuana, just want to encourage us. You know, it's in times like this that historically the church has risen up. And I want to encourage us. Let's be people of faith and courage and walking in the power of the Spirit. Be listening, be praying, and be sensitive to what God's doing. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a time to pull back, you know, and to, to protect. And then there's going to be other times during this, this whole event that's happening where God's going to be calling us to lean in with people that can't help themselves and us to really be the church of Jesus Christ in life and power. And that's always been our dream. And I just want to encourage you guys about that. There is no fear in love. God is love, and He calls us to be that kind of a people. And He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So I encourage you in that. We're going to be moving into the rest of our time together. We've got a, a few people here with us to, to encourage us in the rest of this service as we're filming it and getting re- get ready to send out to you. But uh, right now, what we want to do is pray the Lord's Prayer together. So if you would join with me and let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I encourage you, we've got a few prayer points there on your outlines, on the email that came to you. So just take a moment, just hit pause on the video, and let's pray through these prayer points. And then we're going to move into the next part of our service together. Lord bless you guys. Well, we're continuing in our Strengthening the Core series, and we've been talking about doing core basic disciplines, worship, prayer, the scriptures, things like that that help us just in the whole process of being strong for the long haul, doing the basics with consistency. And so here we go, taking another message. This morning, it's a brother that I dearly, dearly love, our youth pastor, Graydon Jones. Y'all give it up right there in your living rooms for Graydon Jones. Come on, man. Give me that. Oh, no. What's he do? A little elbow bump there. Yeah, man. Our elbow bump's going to be cool at the end of all this. I mean, is that going to be like the new fist bump? You know, like, ah. We're going to have like things that we do. It's going to be awesome. Well, hello, church family. Through the video screen, this is kind of an unprecedented thing. I've never preached to a camera before. And so we're experimenting this morning. And I've got my little crew of of staff people who are going to lift me up. And so it's going to be a fun morning. I'm excited to preach. It's a privilege to preach, uh, even though it is spring break in the middle of a virus crisis. I'm, I'm still privileged to get this slot. So um, it's good to preach no matter what, uh, because the word of God cannot be contained, as our brother Paul would say. So if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm Graydon Jones. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, a few things that I love. I love uh, Luca Doncic. Luca, if you're watching, I love you. Uh, just keep working out. Don't just play video games. Uh, I like golf. I uh, love theology and reading. And so uh, I hope that, that, uh, that some of this kind of comes out. Some of my passion comes out even through the video screen. And, and the most important thing about me is that I have an incredible wife and daughter. And we're actually uh, expecting a baby in the summer as well. So I can't confirm. There are rumors. Yeah, we're excited. So um, yeah, so this morning we're talking about strengthening the core. This has been our series, and, and I'm talking about love uh, because I believe that love is our core. I mean, it has to be our core because it's ultimately what God has called us to, to be our witness together is love. And so I want to talk about what love looks like in action. I want to talk about what it looks like to actually live this thing out. And if you're thinking to yourself, come on, man, not another sermon on love. Really, he's probably going to quote, 1 Corinthians 13. Well, first of all, I'm not going to quote 1 Corinthians 13, so take that. Uh, and second of all, I, I'm going to look at love through the lens of Micah 6.8, about justice and mercy and humility. And so I hope it's kind of a, a different take, a fresh word for you. But let's uh, let's pray together. So Jesus, uh, we love you. And, and Lord, we're just thankful that we can be together even when we're in different places, Lord. And we're thankful that your mercy is new every morning. And we're thankful, Lord, that you love us unconditionally, and that allows us to love each other as well. Lord, we love you so much, and God, we pray that you would get me out of the way this morning and that you would speak your word. God, would you come and and breathe life into this message, God, that we would take it and run with it, and that we would just be loving everybody around us so well. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So, uh, like 
99.9 million other Americans uh, last month, I was watching the big game. Uh, I'm not really sure if I'm legally allowed to say that that other word. And so uh, the, the, the one that rhymes with schmooper schmoll, uh, because I don't want to get sued by schmodger schmodel. And so I'm not going to say that. It's just the big game. But I was watching it, and it was a great game. But really, there was one moment that really stuck out to me that maybe you missed. And it was a, just a 60-second commercial. And uh, it, was, it was by New York Life, an insurance company. And the theme was love in action. And they proceeded to give us a Greek lesson on four different words for love. They talked about philia, which is friendship love, storge, family love, eros, romantic love. And lastly, they highlight agape love, which is self-sacrificial love as the highest form of love for another, as the ultimate sign of love for another person. So almost 100 million people got a lesson on agape love from an insurance company that paid $11.2 million for this lesson. Uh, and, and, and I'm just thinking, we don't think that the world wants to know about Jesus? I mean, I, I'm like struggling here to tell people about Jesus when, when an insurance company is like, is like paying $11 million to tell people what self-sacrificial love looks like. Because here's the deal, is that Jesus is self-sacrificial love. Jesus is agape love by nature. Jesus is agape love. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the gospel of Jesus is that every person is welcomed and invited into an agape love relationship. A perfect one, one where the person doesn't mess up, right? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this gospel is that you never have to be alone ever again because Jesus will never leave you. I'm thinking that the gospel of Jesus is that you are so valuable because agape love is never ending towards you. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really good news. That's way better news than I thought it was. It's way more attractive than I thought it was. People are longing for that type of real love, but compare that to the Christian narrative that night. Were we talking about the agape love commercial? Were we using that to springboard into gospel conversations? Or did we let an insurance company play substitute teacher for us? Right? And we went out and initiated lawsuits because of a halftime show. Right? I mean, this is a little bit backwards, right? And please don't miss my point. I would rather my halftime show performers wear more clothes than not clothes, okay? Just like anybody else. That's my, that's my stance on that, right? My point is that it's hard to believe that we're living in a world where the biggest TV moment in America this year uh, had agape love spotlight, and it wasn't for Christian witness. It was for the profit of a company. I mean, we missed it. We missed that opportunity, right? And why is this so important? It's because Jesus said that we would be known by our love and specifically by our agape love in John 13, 35. This is our witness. And listen, there's so many things, so many legitimate things that we could be known by based on Jesus' ministry, right? Good theology, Miracles, maybe, right? Um, um, uh, discipleship, relationships, teaching, uh, worship music. But, but Jesus told us that love would be the giveaway for true discipleship. 
Love would be the giveaway, right? And so, guys, we, this is a core for us, and we know that we have to work it out. We know that we must be strengthened because we know how weak we are, right? We know that we just, as much as we love this message, we just turn and turn again because we're being tugged on in this world, right? We're being tugged on by selfishness and by disunity and by offense, by conditional forgiveness, by corruption, by lies, right? There's all these things that are tugging on us and we have to say no more. We're going to commit to being strengthened in our love. We must commit because we have a mission. We have a purpose here on earth. And so then the question is, what's the purpose, right? Why is loving action so important? Well, why is it non-negotiable? Well, let me just back up this story a little bit because it goes back a long, long time. We're part of this amazing story where God chose these people called the Israelites. And they were supposed to be God's people only. They were tasked with with solely being God's people, showing the world what God was like. And it turned out that they were actually just like everybody else, right? The people who were called to cure humanity were actually infected with the same disease. And so the great rescuer of our souls, God, he comes and he's faithfully continued in relationship with them. And despite their sin, uh, he, he came in this moment through the eternal son to set things right, to be what Israel could not be, Jesus of Nazareth. And he brings us our great purpose. Why did he come? He came to reveal what God was really like. Not who we thought he was, but who he is. He came to be the true human representative, what Israel was supposed to be. He, to bear the weight of our sin, to break sin's power, to bring humanity into a new creation. And lastly, to call these newly renewed people to a purpose, to a mission right? To bring this new creation to completion. And, and guys, that's, that's you and me, right? This is what we're called to, is to be a part of this thing. We have a purpose. It has not changed to be a people who look forward to how things will be when the new heavens and new earth, new earth are one, to look forward to that day, but to live that way now, right? We have a purpose, and primarily we do that through agape love, We do it through agape love. And we have to know this backdrop when we talk about love because there's an urgency here. There's an urgency for us to live with love because love is not just a desirable way to live. It's the only true life, right? Love is not just something that makes us feel better. It's to be who we really are in Christ, And love is not just rom-coms and butterflies, although I love a good rom-com. It's to join God's story and participate in his rescue of all creation. It's so much bigger than we thought. Now, there's a lot that we could say about love. There's a lot of different directions that I could go. And so I knew I needed to focus on a specific expression of love that we can actually live out. And for a while now, God's been stirring my heart about justice and mercy specifically. And so I decided to focus on Micah 6, 8. And if, if you don't know that verse, here's, here's what it says. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Amen. I would ballpark that like 20% of our church has owned a t-shirt or a wooden sign with those things on there. And I bet that Jason Cox probably sold some of those at the Bible factory outlet. So Jason, thank you. Thank you for, for supplying us with that. But seriously though, why is this verse so important? It's important because it's describing new creation. It's describing the way that things will be, what God requires of his people when we're fully redeemed. And so Jesus is the first of new creation, right? He's resurrected. He's the first of new creation. And so he perfectly lived out Micah 6, 8. And now those who are in Christ are called to live through him, through his power as new creations who continue to carry out Micah 6, 8 as an expression of love. You see, Jesus has inaugurated the fulfillment of God's ancient promises, including Micah 6, 8. And so in his kingdom, justice prevails for the oppressed. In his kingdom, mercy is recklessly given to all. And in this kingdom, it came through the humility of a suffering servant, a perfect God willing to die on a cross. That means that Micah 6, 8, it's been fulfilled, but now we, his kingdom people, are continuing this work through our love. This is what it means to be a true human. This is what it means to be a new creation. And so our love in action, it matters. Our love in action is not just, yes, that's a good idea. It's not just a good idea. It's who we are. It's carrying out our purpose in God. And so therefore, here's the main thing this morning. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God is to embody the love of Jesus and usher in new creation. So let's look at these, each of these attributes a little bit closer. So love looks like justice. Now, each of us probably have a different idea that pops in our head when it comes to the word justice. Uh, so instead, we should ask, what does justice mean in Scripture? What does it mean in the book of Micah? Well, here's some things, uh, just three things that are listed as injustices in the book of Micah. Uh, in chapter 2, it says that the oppression of the powerless is, is unjust. Is unjust. Uh, taking power through violence, chapter 3. Uh, bribery and extortion in chapter three later. So what does it look like to act justly then? It would mean empowering the powerless. It would mean caring for the poor. It would mean choosing peace over violence. It would mean loving God over money, right? So these are, these are actions that are biblically just. Now I have to just take a moment to, to pause here because I, I think that we need to acknowledge that as American Christians, both historical and present, we still struggle with this. We still struggle with this. The book of Micah could have also been written to us. We have lived a very, an all too similar experience as ancient Israel. And I think we have to be aware of that because we must repent of the injustices that we have perpetuated, that we have inherited, or maybe that we've simply benefited from. And there's so many, right? There's slavery or Jim Crow or the subjugation of women or hating our enemies or I could go on and on and on. The point is not the injustices, but, but with a repentant heart, we can turn to acting justly, not forgetting the past, but rather redeeming it in the present, right? That, that Christians could truly be a witness for Jesus in his self-sacrificial love. Essentially, biblical justice means this. It means making things right. 
It means making things the way they should be or the way that they will be when, when it's fully redeemed. So things that breed love and redemption and peace and no more sickness and no more tears. These are the things that are biblically just. Resisting and ending cycles of sin, of violence and of oppression through self-sacrificial love, this is justice. But in our cultural context, here's the thing. We often reduce our definition of justice to something like punishment. But we must realize that the biblical portrait of justice is more restorative than it is punitive. And there is punishment in scripture. It's all throughout scripture. But I would argue that punitive justice is never portrayed as the ideal in scripture. Therefore, I can't ascribe that to God's definition of justice if it's not the ideal. We do see punishment in the form of God releasing people to pursue what they, what they desire, right? You could think of the, the exile in the Old Testament, the destruction in the Old Testament, or maybe Romans 1, God gave them over to their flesh. But most often, actually, we misidentify the natural consequence of sin as punishment. But here's the truth is that sin has a wild ricochet. It has a wild bounce back because sin produces a natural consequence just like a car driving around an icy curve at 80 miles per hour. It must lose control. Sin produces a natural consequence. Just imagine in Romans, if if the wages of sin is death, then who do you think is writing the paycheck? Who's the boss in that situation, right? It's Satan, right? So throughout scripture, we see God releasing or withdrawing his protection from those who are pursuing sin, but that's so that they may experience the natural consequence because oftentimes it's most loving to allow someone to experience the consequence versus enable their sin to continue, right? And so punishment, it can teach the lesson that sin leads to pain, that sin does have a consequence. This is good. But to lower our vision of justice to simply punishment has deep ramifications for us and how we treat those in sin and how we forgive and how much we look like our heavenly father. And so the motivation then of biblical justice must be compassion rather than retribution. The biblical portrait of justice is a God who would rather die for his enemies than kill his enemies. The biblical portrait of justice is specific attention to care for the poor, for the forgotten, for the marginalized and the oppressed and the socially unacceptable. And according to the book of Micah, acting justly with our lives is a mandate from God. This is for everybody. You know, if you feel like justice isn't your calling, isn't your specific calling, then I would say that Jesus is about justice. And so we're all in this thing, right? And so there are incredible ways that we can enact justice in our lives, that we can make things right. How are we acting justly in our everyday? Well, uh, even some specific examples for you. One is right here in our church. It's unbound. The Antioch movement started this anti-trafficking organization and God is making things right through Unbound. Just a week ago, I was at their Restoring Innocence luncheon with hundreds of people from Fort Worth and I was in awe because Unbound is seeing Micah 6-8 happen in our city. And so for us as a church, how, how, how are we considering giving our time, our finances, our attention to what Unbound is doing? This is a clear application for us. 
One that's really close to my heart is the Equal Justice Initiative. My personal hero, Brian Stevenson, has given his life to advocating for those wrongfully convicted, advocating for children, uh, fighting systems of racism and criminal justice. And so how are we as a community, how are we standing up for those who have been ravaged by injustice? How are we listening to the stories of those who have been hurt, of those who have uh, experienced the racism handed down by our ancestors? And there's so many organizations, I could just talk about that all day, but I want to note the thousands upon thousands of local churches, week in, week out, whose people are making things right in their spheres. It is absolutely incredible. So how are we being an agent of restoration in our everyday life? How are we allowing justice to flow through our lives? Do we need to reconsider our sense of justice? Because I believe that God has placed us in specific places for specific reasons. I believe that we're called to make things right, right where we are. But here's the interesting thing is that biblical justice is actually old friends with mercy. And so that's where we're going next. Love looks like mercy. Mercy is a key attribute of God. And if we believe the gospel, then I think we would agree with that, right? Because we've received mercy. It's in, it's right in the, one of the oldest declarations of God's character in Exodus 34, six and seven, that he's gracious and merciful. And so, but the problem is that we often let ourselves off the hook from being merciful as well, because I'm not Jesus after all, right? Uh, I'm not perfect. I mean, they were obviously being rude to me or they they were being horrible, so I should be horrible back, right? They started it, right? Just It goes back to where it all began on the kindergarten playground, right? So why do we, why do we react like that? Well, I think that there are several possibilities. I think that some of us live with the storyline that your gain is my loss. If you have something good happen to you, excuse me, something good happened to you, then you feel bad about yourself, right? If someone else gets that, that, uh, that job that you wanted, it, you may not have even applied, but you're just like, oh man, my life is lesser than, right? You immediately want to tear them down. Well, when, maybe when someone wins an award, we, we scroll back through Twitter from when they were 14 and we find something that they said that makes us mad, right? It's because your gain is my loss. And I think this comes in turn from a scarcity mentality, Right? As if, as if God's mercy is going to run out for me. Right? As if, if there's reckless mercy over there, then it means there's less for me. Maybe the mercy pie is going to run out of slices. Right? And this in turn comes from a performance mentality. Right? As if we are earning God's mercy. As if our performance is good enough to receive mercy. What if we perform for God and He doesn't vindicate it with extra blessings? Right? And so we hold on to these things. But, Listen, God's mercy is a fact. It is fact. His radical forgiveness is fact. It's not going to run out because it's past tense reality for those in Christ. It's already happened. His mercy has already covered you. And so we have to believe that God's mercy has nothing to do with our performance, but rather it has everything to do with God's character. Or perhaps we just have a warped sense of mercy because we have a warped sense of justice. I think it's common for us to believe that justice and mercy cannot coexist. I think a lot of people come to that tension and maybe they admit that their marriage is maybe a paradox, right? But here's the thing is that when we do this, we give ourselves a pass because we reserve paradoxes for God. 
not for me. I'm just trying to survive here. I'm not trying to live a paradoxical life, right? And so we think that's something that God can do, but for me, I have to choose between justice and mercy. But I want to just push us a little bit, maybe just a minor nudge to consider that justice might be most just when it leaves room for mercy. So we're going to use a biblical example in John 8, John 8, verse 2 through 11, uh, the religious leaders, they bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. She's guilty according to law. The Pharisees have a spirit of accusation and they want to trap Jesus by asking if he would follow the law and condone the stoning of this woman. Well, Jesus says to the Pharisees, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. One by one, the accusers leave. Beginning with the older ones, it says, I think there's a lesson there about wisdom and humility. And Jesus asked the woman, where did they go? Has no one condemned you? None, she says. Now, here's the important point, uh, the important moment, because there is one person who is justified in condemning her. Jesus, right? Because he is without sin. He could totally condemn her, right? And maybe he just didn't want to do it in front of a crowd, right? So what does Jesus say? This is the important moment. But here's the thing. If Jesus had condemned her in that moment, I believe this would have been a cheap and limp justice. I believe that this would be a justice fit for fallen humanity, not a perfect God. And so he says, neither do I condemn you, Now go and sin no more. God's justice is just precisely because it's merciful. Mercy is not in spite of justice, but an integral part of justice. One theologian says justice attains its end by enacting mercy to overcome sin. God's justice is just precisely because it is merciful. And if mercy really is this precious to God, shouldn't it be precious to us? Shouldn't we be excited to give mercy? Shouldn't we be excited to give mercy to those we love and to those who who hate us? Shouldn't we be excited to give mercy to the well-intentioned and the undeserving? Because this is what we see in our God. The last point here is that love looks like humility. Humility, I believe that humility is the soil that justice and mercy grow in because these things are inspired by a a right view of ourselves. It's really easy to say that I'm better than or to look down on those who are totally unaware of injustices or live hypocritically in terms of mercy. But Listen, if we are doing that, then we're, we're, we're acting justly and loving mercy for the sake of self. And then we are forsaking the spirit of Jesus who lived to glorify his father only. These responses are not the responses of a new creation. True humility, making more of others than self, this is what inspires justice and mercy. Because we know that we are not without sin that we're not qualified to cast the first stone. We're inspired because we know that God pursues us where we are, not where we should be. And we're inspired because we know that we all get it wrong sometimes. Therefore, we're all in need of mercy. We're all in need of justice. I believe that the world is desperate for humble leaders to look to. And what better place than the church to find humble leaders who are willing to love radically. 
As I kind of finish up here, I want to share a story uh, from my favorite book, Just Mercy, written by Brian Stevenson, who I mentioned earlier, because this story gives me a vision for really living this out. So Brian saw an old woman uh, in a courthouse in New Orleans, and she had attended every single day of a trial to set an innocent man free. She was sitting down on the front steps after the innocent man had finally been released, 50 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. She called to Brian to sit down, and he assumed that she was a family member because of her faithful presence. And so he sat down and he listened to her. But it turns out she wasn't family. Actually, she came up to the courthouse routinely because of a horrible experience in her life. Her 16-year-old grandson had been shot and killed years before, and she was devastated. But when she saw the other teenagers get sent to life in prison for their crimes, she thought it would make her feel better, and yet it actually made her feel worse. And on that day, a lady let her cry on her shoulder. She just needed someone to lean on. And after a year, this woman began, began attending trials in the hopes that she too could be someone to lean on, both for the families of victims and perpetrators alike. And she said, I decided that I was supposed to be here to catch some of the stones that people cast at each other. And then she looked at Brian and she told him, I know you're a stone catcher too. I'm just going to let you lean on me a bit because I know a few things about stone catching. Reflecting on John 8, I think that Jesus would welcome that title of stone catcher too. And I think that he would call us to also be stone catchers. This woman in her unique way was loving in action, Micah 6-8 style. You see, she had a conviction about justice. She used her presence and warmth to restore some small bit of how things ought to be in the midst of hurt and pain. She had a conviction about mercy that both the innocent and convicted, the brokenhearted and celebrating all equally need a merciful touch. And she had a conviction about humility, never making a show of herself, but rather entering into others' darkest moments with anonymity and love. It resulted in a profound display of love for countless in that New Orleans courthouse. Listen, I, I don't know your Micah 6-8 assignment from God. It may not look like this, but whatever it is, let's take action Let's let our love take action through justice, mercy, and humility. Let's be the new creation that God made you to be. Let's allow the kingdom of God to flow through our lives together as the church. I really believe that we could enact agape love witness all throughout our city if we did that. And so here, as we, as we close, I just have a few things that, that maybe you need to respond to God about. Right there, wherever you are, in, in your house, with your life group, wherever you are, you can actually respond to God right now. And so maybe unrelated to this, you're living with a lot of fear and anxiety right now because of what's going on in the world, because of, uh, of this virus. And so I would encourage you to spend some time asking God to let his perfect fear cast out, sorry, asking God to let his perfect love cast out all fear. Uh, I would invite you to have people around you pray over you and pray that God would lift this fear and anxiety from your life. Maybe you've been strengthening your love and strengthening your core of love for a long time, but you feel weary right now. 
um, I wanna invite you to spend a moment asking God for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, for a fresh filling of vision for how you can love in action and that God would provide all the love that you need. You don't have to do it in your own strength. In fact, it's so much better to turn to God and let his love flow through you. And maybe you have absolutely no idea what Micah 6a could look like in your life. And so maybe spend some time asking God, take a moment and ask God for revelation. God, how can I live this out this week? How can I let justice and mercy and humility shape my life? Um, and I believe that God will, will give you opportunity, will give you revelation right now. So um, I wanna leave you with a blessing. And so uh, if you, even in your house, just put out your hands like this. We do it every week, right? Uh, God, we bless the people of Antioch Fort Worth to be the most loving, self-sacrificial people in our city. God, we bless all of us to make things right. We bless all of us to live with mercy and we bless our people to have a humility that grounds us in your character in the name of Jesus. Be blessed. We'll see you guys on our YouTube channel next week as well. Have a good Sunday. Sunday.